Welcome to the Passive Income MD Podcast, where we talk about creating your ideal life through multiple streams of income. I'm your host, Peter Kim. If you enjoy hearing about this stuff, make sure to hit subscribe so I can bring it to you every week. Now let's get on with the show. Hey everyone, hope you're having a great week. I can't believe there are only a couple more weeks till the end of the year, I guess, depending on when you're listening to this. I hope you've had a chance to reflect on 2020. I know it's been a crazy year. When I look back and I look at the positives, I think that one of the coolest things about the whole year is the fact that I've been able to meet so many amazing physician entrepreneurs. Um, I, am, I particularly love the stories of doctors who have created businesses to help other doctors out. I love those stories. And you're going to hear one of them today. You're going to hear from Dr. Zwadi Marshall and Dr. Kenton Allen. They're both anesthesiologists who met during residency and saw a problem and decided to do something about it. You created a company called Doc to Doc Lending, and you're going to find out more about it on today's show. I know you're going to love this one. So enjoy. Hey, Zwadi and Kenton, how are you guys doing? Doing well. Thank you. For yeah, fantastic. I have two of you guys here, so I'm going to kind of try to make sure I get you guys one at a time. Uh, let's start with Zwadi. Hey, Zwadi, I kind of introduced you already as an anesthesiologist, but tell us a little bit more about what you do, kind of, uh, I'd say, your day job. Sure. Um, uh, so I'm an interventional pain specialist. I, I do mostly spine work. Uh, uh, so I went to um, uh, Brigham and Women's at, at Harvard for my residency and fellowship. That's where I met Kenton. Uh, and day to day, I'm in, in my office right now, uh, closing the day out on Friday evening. Uh, I, I opened my own practice not so long ago, and so uh, they, they always joke and tell you that when you start your own gig, you know, the time you spend after hours kind of closing books and doing the back-end work is a heavy lift, and so I'm in the middle of that right now as we speak. Um, but I, I'm in Atlanta, Georgia, um, in suburban Atlanta, and uh, I was born and raised in South America, uh, British Guyana, so you might, you might hear a little bit of a sing-song accent uh, with, some, with, with some words that I enunciate. Uh, moved to New Jersey for high school, and then uh, went to Emory for college. Stayed there for uh, business school and medical school. Did a dual MD MBA program, uh, and uh, and then went off to Harvard for my residency and fellowship. And then that's where you met Kenton, right? That's where I met Kenton. He was the uh, the smartest guy in the room. He was always very steady hands uh, as an anesthesiologist. When stuff goes awry, you want someone like Kenton on the team at two a.m. because he's not going to shake. Uh, he'll get the transfusions going and uh, <laughs> the lines in, and, and he's good with ultrasound. He's now does regional anesthesia. So he, he's the guy that you want on your team. When you put a call schedule together, you want him there at 2.30 in the morning with you. Nice. Hey, Kenton. So, so what are you doing now? Peter, thanks, uh, thanks again for having us. Zwade was our chief resident, so I'm used to following in Zwade's, in Zwade's footsteps, um, but I'm a practicing anesthesiologist. I work in, uh, in southern New Hampshire out of the Mass General System uh, currently, but um, similar to, to Zwade, my background started in a, an MD, MBA program. Mine, mine was, was out of Dartmouth. Went from there to uh, to uh, to Brigham and Women's, where uh, where Metzwade training in anesthesiology, um, and then went back to do a fellowship uh, in in regional anesthesia and in, in acute pain. So so uh, I've been uh, fully in practice now for uh, about about five years, and um, uh, in addition to my clinical practice and the the current president of the New Hampshire Medical Society, which uh, uh, affords me the um, opportunity to be involved with 
a lot of our our state's public health initiatives, which you can imagine, it's it's an exciting time to uh, to have a role in all of that in the midst of a pandemic. So uh, uh, those are those are those are the, the the hats that I wear currently. Yeah, and now you guys are running a company together, Doc to Doc Lending. We're gonna get into that a little bit, but I th- what I think is interesting is that both of you guys did MD MBAs. And there's always been a lot of discussion whether people who want to go into business or doctors, should they even do an MBA? I'm just curious, um, maybe from each of you, why did you decide to do an MBA? Did you have like ambitions of actually going into business, you know, being entrepreneurial? Was that always like a, I don't know, let, let's find out. Zwadi, why did you, why'd you go into it? I'll tell you that um, I was in medical school just in my second year, and this was back in 2008. And so the Affordable Care Act was in the full swing of its conception. Uh, and one of, um, one of my professors at Emory School of Medicine, who was in the School of Public Health, Peter Thorpe, was an advisor to the Obama administration. And so he would be in our classroom discussing policy issues around uh, um, healthcare financing, uh, insurance, coverages, the public option. And I'll see him on CNN a few days later on the same topics that he would vet within the classroom amongst us academics. And um, in that time, I realized how critical it was for physicians to be armed with knowledge of economics, of finance, of, of the things that make the engine run. Healthcare is this huge organism where if you, if you pull something here, there's a push somewhere else. And the more I read and learned in the classroom, in the public health school, in medical school, the more I intrigued I became about the business side. And so it was an easier decision for me to make because I was still within my training where the cost, I wasn't losing as much as someone who's out of, of, of training in practice, thinking of going back to do uh, uh, an MBA. Um, I'll tell you this, when I decided to go in, it was the most transformational educational year of my life. I think that year of business school reframed the way I saw the world and, re- and reframed the lens through which I looked at healthcare and just my everyday life forever. Uh, and I had the greatest leap in knowledge in that year because of how different the lens for business and medicine is compared to medicine from a, from a, a medical practitioner's perspective. And I think that my training program for medicine, Emory, is a pretty conservative uh, uh, program where the, the emphasis is on patient care and patient care. Um, uh, and in, in, in recent years, we've become a lot, more, a lot more creative or innovative in terms of looking at things beyond you know, the, uh, the four walls of the, of, of the doctor's office. Yeah, I mean, that's, um, so what were some of those things that you really, I mean, like I said, you said it changed your perspective, but can you give an example of what, like one or two of those things might've been, which maybe you kind of try to share with other people? Sure. I'll tell you that um, understanding that there's so much that has to happen within a practice to be able to, to actually deliver care. So understanding the dynamic between the physician and referral partners and the networking that goes into how do you get people to trust that you're going to be able to provide the level of care that extends, their, that extends their own brand. If you send a patient to me, I'm a reflection of your practice. I have to articulate my value proposition to you, the physician, in a way that makes them feel confident in me, but also in, in a way that helps them realize that their patients will also value what I offer them. So you're speaking to two audiences in each interaction. 
And that's a skill you learn in the networking world of business, where you're constantly assessing your elevator pitch. Who's the audience? How do I package what I want to say to that audience in the most effective and efficient way possible while maximizing the impression I make on them for that snippet of time that you have their attention? So that's one. Um, I think the other part of it is, you know, I, I've, I've been trained in medicine to think of healthcare as purely this benevolent thing. You know, like we're, we're caring for people. And, and, and insofar as you're able to provide care and, and the right medicine, the right diagnosis, the right workup, you're doing a good job. But if you're not in tune with the economics of exactly how many Medicaid patients am I seeing today compared to Blue Cross Blue Shield, if that Medicaid to Blue Cross mix is out of whack, I'm not going to be around here in six months to see anybody. And knowing exactly what the reimbursement is, but not just the reimbursement, but the time I have to spend with each patient, the kind of procedures that they'll approve if I see a Medicare or a Humana or a Blue Cross patient, it all factors into the kind of the care that I can provide and the viability of my practice as well. And so being able to look at the downstream ripple effects came from looking at the economics and seeing healthcare as what it is, it's, it's, it's a different business. It's not like making widgets. And so I, I don't want to give the impression that you can plug a, a, a doctor's office into any manufacturing line or facility. But there's some of, this, some of the similar uh, uh, kind of value concerns right there. Like I think the Toyota manufacturing system and how Toyota looks at value and, and, and longevity of product, there's similar things that I have to do in looking at how long does my epidural last? If, if, if your insurance pays me $1,000 for an epidural and it wears off in four days, was it worth it to you? Is it worth it to the system? Uh, and so understanding the way value plays in terms of effectiveness of therapy and cost of therapy is something that the business world helped me realize at a faster rate than I would have if I just relied upon my, my medical training for that. And Kenton, did you find that it did the same for you? And, and was that kind of your motivation as well? Um, yeah, there are some, there's, there's some common themes in there. I'll, I'll tell you my, my story started in, in medical school. So I didn't going into medical school. I didn't know that I, that I wanted to go into a, a, a business uh, program. Um, but pretty early on one of the summers between one of my medical school years, I, I, I spent working in um, rural Burundi providing direct patient care. So I would see, you know, we, we would have 60 patients uh, uh, in a morning um, in a catchment area of 120,000 people um, within about a 60 mile radius who would spend days to walk to this clinic. And it was pretty apparent to me that, that although the, 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 the doctors that were there uh, providing the direct patient care were, have, were being impactful, the real the the real impact could be made at a macro level to 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 influence the 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 financial position um, of these people because their disease were, were the types of diseases that could be prevented by things like having access to water and appropriate um, appropriate latrines and so and so um, and so I came back from that experience. Um, empowered and enthusiastic to to have an impact at a macro level beyond uh, the direct patient care level um and and it was uh, one of my advisors that that 
that shuttled me into the the MBA program as opposed to the MPH program, which were kind of the two avenues I was I was choosing between at that time. And the advice that I was given rung true that 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 business programs um, have a different kind of emphasis. They, 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 they emphasize communication. What Zwade said, um, being really effective communicators so that you can translate your passion into a passion that somebody else shares. And it's, you know, it's, there are some people that that comes naturally to, I'm not one of those people, um, uh, uh, speaking, uh, like engagements like this, um, is something that I still, uh, uh, kind of work towards because it, it, it was not, I was much more comfortable in a, in a cubby in a library with my book, uh, uh, you know, but, but, um, um, but communication is, is, is a big focus there. Um, the other thing is, is confidence to lead teams of people that are smarter than you. I'm, I mean, I went into medical, I went into business school with no business expertise in a school that at Dartmouth they require or they're, or, with some exception that you have about four years of working experience. So, so everybody that came there was already wildly successful in their fields and were rising stars within their organizations um, and came with these, these skill sets that a lot of times I, I didn't know how to build an Excel spreadsheet. And, and you know, these were expert modelers at uh, consulting firms. And, and uh, I was forced into positions where I would be the leader of those teams um, and over the course of a couple of years, became really confident in leading those people, even though they were a lot smarter than me. Um, and uh, and um, and it's it, it it it's empowering to know that you can do that um, and build those skill sets because they're they're not complementary skill sets that we get through medical school. Yeah, I know we hear that all the time. Physicians and doctors, oftentimes, they just I don't know. It's maybe it's a, I don't know, generalization, but they say that we're bad business people. And uh, I've heard that quite a bit. I mean, I, I think it, that's too simplistic. I think that, you know, physicians can make actually fantastic business people, but they're just, again, they just haven't had the mindset and they haven't had the training and they haven't had the emphasis on it. Um, I mean, do you believe that it should be part in some way, part of the medical education system, like knowing what you know, Obviously, the position that physicians are in today when it comes up against healthcare administration, all that stuff. I mean, you guys feel like uh, this business, at least some of it, the education should be like a has already kind of integrated into what we already do. I think it should be something that everybody's exposed to, but 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 that there are defined paths for people to go down when they decide that that they want to take on leadership roles early on in their career. Um, and 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 exposure in the same sense that you would have a clerkship in general surgery. Um, uh, I think everybody should have a, a clerkship in the business of medicine to understand the basics. Um, but not everybody needs to, 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 you know, dedicate a significant part of their time uh, to, to trying to become a physician leader within a, within a healthcare organization. I think there are a lot of people that are, 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 have really rewarding careers providing clinical medicine. Um, I think those careers can can certainly be strengthened by by having a deep understanding of 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 the economics of healthcare. Um, 
But to your point, there's, there isn't, there aren't defined pathways to train and get experience in leadership within medicine, the same way that there are clinical pathways to become an anesthesiologist, for example. Um, and that's where I think those, uh, that we could, we could improve ourselves is to define those, the, the, those pathways so that we can give those opportunities to people who really do want to lead medicine at a macro level. I, I agree wholeheartedly. I, th I think exposure is, is enough and the ones that want to dig deeper can. I think the goal would be to have most of us with a basic understanding to be conversant, to be able to kind of hear uh, about a, a balance sheet or hear about peer mix or reimbursement questions, understand exactly where that's going, but not necessarily be the one to develop the model, as Kenton said. Uh, so, uh, so, and, and because we're, as a, as a collective, we tend to be pretty academically curious. The ones that, that do have a, uh, have a knack for it or an interest can go do a deeper dive. You know, one of the actually popular kind of debates that I've seen on some of the groups that I'm part of, especially because these groups are like people that are a little bit more entrepreneurial minded is whether they should go get an MBA or not. These are physicians talking and it goes back and forth. I want to start a business. I want to do something different. Should I get an MBA or is that necessary? You know, if I'm going to be successful necessarily in entrepreneurship, um, what do you guys think about that? I think it depends. Um, I think if you're an in-practice physician with, a, with an idea, to, to start a business that's related to your practice, right? I'm not sure that the bang is there for the buck, for the cost, that the true cost of that MBA, if it's a two-year program, is even harder to justify because it's the opportunity cost of income income lost, but then the, the, the spend, and those executive programs are extraordinarily expensive. I never think it's almost 100,000 bucks a year for, uh, for an EMBA. Um, and what I found was most impactful from the MBA is not that I left there with a set of hard skills that made me better at business. It's more of an understanding of the way things interact. It's better communication, as Kenton says, a better understanding of what my personal strengths and weaknesses were and how to mitigate those weaknesses and play up to my strengths. And when you're 35, 40, 45, 50, 60, and you've been you know, practicing medicine, heading back, to get an M to get these three letters with the expectation it's going to make you better at, at a certain job is not necessarily, I think, worthwhile. Um, the folks that I think benefit most from an MBA in terms of like job uh, uh, climbing a ladder are ones that are doing a career change within, within industry. So you are a management consultant and you want to get into operations uh, or you want to climb the ladder within your Fortune 50 firm. And the currency to get there is an MBA because no one in the C-suite is missing an MBA. Those, that's a clean transactional activity. If I do X, I get Y. In the case of doctors, I'm not sure it does. It gets them what they need. And, and there's, there's more pressure. You, you, get, you, cannot, you don't get the chance to immerse yourself in the true pedagogical experience of what an MBA really is uh, if you make it so transactional. Hmm. Yeah, I, 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 um, I agree. I think it, I think it really depends. And, you know, I divide it to those, those folks who are considering it, um, during training, 
uh, and those folks who are considering it after training. And, and, you know, during training, I think if, if you have a sense at that time that, that you want, you, you want to, um, you want to be involved with, uh, decisions and policy, um, and leadership at, at a level beyond, uh, kind of daily clinical medicine, then it, you don't have to have a defined path forward. Um, those, the, the, the value at that time will be that that MBA opens up those doors for you to, for you to enter into those paths at a point in the career when, when it's appropriate for you. And, and if you know that early on, then it can be a worthwhile investment um, for both career advancement, but also for career satisfaction, because, because it'll make those opportunities um, more readily accessible to you. For the folks who are in kind of uh, already in practice and, and are looking to, to, to move towards something else, I think the key is you need to know where you want to end up. Um, and because, because an MBA in and of itself um, isn't going to grant you access to um, a specific position, um, uh, what it can do is, is, help, is help facilitate you getting uh, to a specific position if you already know where it is. Because at that point, um, you know, the, 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 the experiential learning and the experiential uh, job opportunities are are almost in in either or to an MBA. You can you can you could get there uh, um, just as easily in a lot of cases and not have to sacrifice the um, the, the time and uh, and the cost. And the executive MBA is is kind of a good hybrid of those. And and certainly I think a lot of people utilize those um, effectively and and and, and they become um, useful as well. Awesome. That's great feedback. Um, but what, why I think this story is cool from the both of you guys is that you, you both did MD MBAs, uh, you went to residency together, and then you started a company together. It's called Doc to Doc Lending. Uh, I've known quite a bit about it. Uh, but for those who don't know about it, is why do you want to just give a quick primer on what it is? And we're going to talk about how you guys got into it. Sure. We're a, a, a physician led group that figured out that doctors are, are treated unfairly by the financial markets as when it comes to accessing personal loans. So because of the nature of our training and how expensive it is and kind of the, the, the financial toll it takes, many of us have north of $200,000 worth of student loan debt. Uh, and certainly in residency, you're making, you know, an average 55 to 60,000 bucks a year early in your careers, um, you know, uh, still relatively modest income uh, with debt to income uh, ratios that are lopsided. So banks see us as high-risk borrowers. Doctor Doc reframes that proposition and looks at doctors not just for who they are today, but who they will become. Uh, and we determine that the risk of giving a doctor a personal loan is not predicted by a FICO score or debt-to-income ratio. And there's more that's at play there. And so we uh, we came together, pooled our resources, got some doctors involved, and uh, had our seed round with a predominant physician fund. Uh, and now we're scaling and growing beyond just doctors investing in the company. Yeah. So how did, how did this all come about? I mean, there must've been some problem. This must've, what are you two looking for a loan had an issue? Like, like how did you actually come up with this idea that doctors needed funds and that you were the ones to solve that? Yeah, we both, we both lived through it. Um, and we both lived through it while we were, while we were in Boston. Uh, our stories are a little different, but there are a lot of parallels to it. Uh, mine, mine was, 
I moved, I moved from, from Dartmouth to Boston with my wife and at the time two kids. Um, we, you know, met my, my kind of financial profile at that time. I carried $225,000 worth of student loan debt. My salary was $54,000 a year uh, as a resident. Um, my wife, who's a nurse, had some professional goals uh, of her own um, and some and some of our family goals. And so uh, and so whereas she had supported us through medical school, um, she was stepping back a little bit as the as the as the breadwinner. Um, now, if and we lived in a bad part of Jamaica Plain and still our rent was about two thousand dollars a month. So so if, if, if you did the math um, and and what it took to keep the engines running to advance uh, both our personal lives, but also our professional lives, the math didn't add up. Um, either, either we had to, either we had to uh, kind of step back and, and put the brakes on, on, on our goals, um, or we needed to supplement my income. And, um, and when we, when we went to see what that would look like, we were surprised that, um, that, uh, we were viewed as, and particularly me, it was viewed as high risk, you know, and, and up to that point, it, it, it seemed like I was on a successful career trajectory by most measures, um, you know, even had some informal job offers at that time. But, but, but from the bank's perspective, um, what they saw was someone who was carried a lot of debt um, and didn't make a, a, a a, a salary that was um, that was in line with that debt burden, and and uh, and it felt it felt um, improper, and uh, and so Zwade again had a similar story, and and as we we kind of shared our our frustrations with it, um, began began talking with our fellow co-residents and and and, and friends from other specialties around Brigham and Women's. And it was a, it was, it was impressive how, how many people shared that feeling of stress at that time, financial stress at that time. Um, and, and, and the lack of options, uh, to do something about it. And, um, and so after resident, after residencies, why did I went our separate ways, kind of, uh, got our feet underneath ourselves and, uh, and yeah, three years ago now, uh, came back together to, to, to do something about it. Um, and, uh, and that was the, the genesis of, of Doc to Doc. Peter, you will like this and appreciate this uh, more than, than most. When we began to formulate the idea, we stress tested it for the first time uh, at the ASA, the American uh, Society of Anesthesiologists in Boston that year, so 2017. And we put together a series of, of Shark Tank style pitch sessions. Uh, we hosted, I think, about seven or eight with five to six peers from the conference uh, in the lobby of the, uh, the um, it was the Boston Marriott, I think it was, uh, or Kenton. And, um, and we weren't asking for money. We were saying, we got this idea. Let's present it to you guys and poke holes. Tell us, as a physician, as, a, as someone who went through this process, what do you think? And we left there with validation and offers to write checks. Uh, and uh, and uh, that's when we kind of knew. We offers, had. you mean in terms of like people are like ready to invest in what you guys are doing? If you guys went ahead and did this, I'll be willing to write a check. And at that time, we were just trying to like 
beat the pavement to understand if if this was a real business and if people shared our experiences and thought it was something that, that would that would catch a fire in the market. Give me the 30 second pitch that you gave. What would, what did it sound like kind of? Well, it, it sounded like, like, like what we already did. Yeah. It was, hey, um, uh, as you were moving from medical school to residency, uh, did you have the pain point of having to borrow money for first last month's rent broker fee? Did you swipe your credit card to pay for those moving expenses while in residency? Have you had to go borrow money from your parents or relatives? What if we had a solution that understood where you were at that time in your life and didn't penalize you for the toll that it took to get to the point you were in your medical career, but having that financial kind of background. And folks were like, there's a lot of head nodding. A lot of folks felt comfortable saying, actually, yeah, I had $40,000 in credit card debt and I still have it, you know? Uh, And, uh, and we love the idea. Let's go. And, And then why were investors so excited about it? Because, it, it felt so, at, you know, this is 2017 now, Lending Club was, was still in its heyday. And at conception, there was a thought, maybe we'll, we'll match investors to borrowers. Uh, and, uh, and that kind of like community model was very appealing because of what was happening in the fintech market at the time as well. Uh, I think also uh, uh, knowing that the default, like I think the real crooks here is, default, right? Like loans are priced the way they are because you're, you're trying to hedge against defaults. Knowing that physicians, you know, the, the, the student loan default rate, for instance, compared to lawyers and, and MBAs and, and, and other professionals, we're sub 1%. No one else is, right? And the folks that default in debt in medicine don't actually match in a residency for the most part. So, so, so that we know something that the world didn't know about us. But what we also know is kind of how to look at a physician, a physician and all the, the little data points that help to predict where they're going to be in the future are things that you and I naturally know, Peter. And as you talk to doctors, they're like, oh, yeah, duh, I know that, too. Right. But what I'm kind right. of program they're in, what kind of where they got their job, what that job's going to do. Yeah, I mean, you, you can probably figure that out pretty easily, right? Correct. But the banks, the bankers don't. Yeah. And even as we pitch to sophisticated investors and bankers now, there's a lot of hand-holding. There's this huge information asymmetry that we revel in because we're educating folks on the parts that we want to let them in on. Uh, certainly no trade secrets, but, but there's a gap between what they know about doctors and our journey uh-huh. and what the reality actually is. All right. So you had that idea. You tested it. It seemed like some people were willing to pay you, write you some checks. All right. So what did you do with that idea? How did you kind of, yeah. How did you actually start making loans and, and getting the financing, the funding? I'm just curious, like how did that all come about and how long did that process take? Cause I think a lot of people have ideas like this and that's just kind of where it stops for most people. So what, what did it take to take that next little step? I mean, did you, is this something that you feel like your, your MBA training helped you with? Is it, did you read something? What resources were you using? I know it's a pretty loaded question, but how did you guys, I mean, that's really the tough part for most people, how they take that idea. And then how do you kind of get that ball in motion? Yeah. You know, the, the, um, that, 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 that was a, that was a major decision point, right? Zwade, Zwade, uh, told you that we came away from the ASA conference feeling like we were validated that this, that this 
that this was worthy of, of being a company. Not, o- not only did it satisfy a need that we were passionate about and had, and had felt and, and, and wanted to, to smooth for you know, the next generation. Um, but, but, but the market for it felt like it was there. Um, and, and, um, and so I'll tell you, Peter, one of the biggest challenges for me through this entire process was, um, the comfort level with accepting money from other people. I, I, I was very, uh, I, I was comfortable assuming risk as long as the risk was my own. Um, and, and it, it, it took time for me to be comfortable to, to ex- accept investment in the company. Um, once we cross certain hurdles. So, so Zwadi and I decided Zwadi, that, that we would assume the risk ourselves to start. And so we uh, self-funded the foundation of, of Doc to Doc. And, and uh, what that entailed really was the regulatory diligence. Um, you know, the, the financial technology industry is one of the most heavily regulated industries in the country. Um, so the legality of, of, of knowing that we could make loans um, uh, legally was, was a, about a nine-month process. Um, we self-funded the the IT development, so we, we have we have software that allows us um, to kind of match the market research that we that we performed. That it that what's important to doctors who are who are making loans is they want to be able to um, they want to be able to dictate uh, kind of as as the, the 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 terms how much they borrow. They want it to happen quickly, so it's a quick application process, and they want to get the money as fast as possible um, and have really fast communication from the time that they click submit. And so, um, so we leverage technology um, and, and of course have the best interest rate. So that's uh, we, we leverage technology to match um, to match our market research um, and that we self-funded as well. Um, it wasn't until we had the foundation and the regulatory steps in place that we, um, that we accepted investments. And so this was about, this was about a year after that ASA conference, when people said, we'd love to invest in your company. Um, it took a year for us to be comfortable accepting those investments. And, and when we accepted those investments, it was with the understanding that the majority of that money would not be used for operational or infrastructure investment, that the money would be used primarily to make loans to doctors. Um, and, and, and because of that, there was some, some insulation, uh, to their investment. Um, uh, and so, uh, um, so again, we, we, I think the, 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 the decision to make the leap to your point, um, we, we, uh, the, 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 the big decision point for us, um, once we learned that the market was there and that the interest was there was how would we, how would we handle the risk of an early failure? And, 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 and we got over that hurdle by, by assuming the the, the earliest risk ourselves. Yeah. So fast forward today. Now you guys started there, you started getting funding. It looks like you had, um, you know, you started matching up people with loans. You carried the it. Let's just jump to the end. Where are you guys today now? A couple of years later. The growth has been amazing. Um, I think uh, COVID gave us an early stress in our model uh, because uh, you'll find that across the sector, personal loan companies have seen defaults uh, kind of quadruple from where they usually 
would be. Uh, and, and in our space, we've seen no defaults, uh, no late payments in terms of 30-day or 60-day delinquencies. And so there's something to our hypothesis that physicians perform better than their risk profile might predict, uh, even under duress of COVID. And, and, and you and I both know that doctors were having their hours cut. They were, they were having uh, you know, like, uh, um, um, pay cuts and benefit cuts during COVID as well. But the way we view our, our, our financial obligations as a collective, we, we, we view it as a, as a black mark on our, on, our, on our careers if we're defaulting on obligations. And so we've seen none of that. Uh, and what that has helped us to do is, is, is grow because we're seeing that, that investors and sophisticated money likes the fact that our portfolio is steady. Um, we've been able to get quite a bit more traction because the biggest marketing arm that we have are, are our current borrowers, that they share the story of borrowing from us with their peers. Uh, and that's the best compliment that, that we can have. Uh, Kent and I speak to the vast majority of our borrowers directly on the phone with a phone call to welcome them to the community, to tell them who we are, to tell them that we know where they are right now and we've been there ourselves and it gets better. Just just, just survive the next two years or three or four, <laughs> you know? Uh, and uh, and as you go through it, call us back. If you have a question about 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 anything, about, about making the payment or about insurance or whatever it is, we're a community of peers and we should not feel like a bank that will take your call at 8.30 uh, p.m. because that's when you're out of the office and that's when we're out of the office too. Uh, we're, we're actively working as we do this as well. And so there's so much that we can empathize with and affiliate with that people really, really like what we're doing and, and we feel authentic because we are. Now, knowing what you know in these last couple of years, obviously uh, the road must have not have been easy all the time. Um, you know, let's say somebody else were, I don't know, trying to follow in your footsteps, not necessarily do a lending company, but start a business, uh, you know, become entrepreneurs, do it while they're building their own practices as well. What's one or two tips that you give them that might save them, them a lot of trouble, actually? I'll, I'll, I'll start, you know, I, I, I think the, I think the first, um, I think the, 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 the first piece of advice is to, is to be confident in yourself, right? This is, this is, a um, starting a company is, is an investment in yourself and, and knowing your level of commitment and, and engagement to it, um, is going to help guide whether that's a, a, a good investment, right? I think you have to, it has to not just be a good idea, but something that you don't mind thinking about on the off hours. Um, because, because, um, because in order to succeed, a lot of times you will have to be thinking about it on the off hours. And if that's fun, as opposed to, um, a burden, then it could mean the difference between, um, success, uh, and failure. Yeah. The, the, the second piece would be, um, be patient. They think, I think, you know, this, um, this this has at many steps along the way taken longer than we had we had expected that certainly i had expected there's been times we've had to go back to the drawing board and say look we believe in this concept but but these last three months um just weren't the direction that we that that that, that we should have been going i'll give you a quick example um um when we when we uh uh first first started out with this, um, 
we we were trying to decide whether to build our own software uh, de novo or buy kind of an off-the-shelf platform um, and spent a good amount of time interviewing companies to, to buy their to buy their software um, about three months into that we realized that we could do it a lot better um, and 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 have it be budget neutral if not if not cost less but the but the investment that we had just spent in terms of time of of, of going through diligence with so many groups was really hard to let go of um, and so whereas it set it behind um, you know it, ultimately it was it was it was the right decision um, but there's a lot of times where it'd be really easy to to to, um, to 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 make the wrong decision or to or to step away completely just because we weren't at the at the end point that we were trying to be at. Um, so um, so being being patient uh, and, and 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 flexible, particularly early on, um, is uh, you know to be expected. I think um I think I'll I'll add to that, and I agree with both. I think um confidence comes naturally to many doctors. And I think that hubris gets us a bad rap a lot of times. And I say, have a level of humility to the process because what made you successful in medicine is not the skill set that you'll likely need to do these other ventures. And so Kenton and I had to learn banking, learn about the second circuit courts, who they are, what their rules are around interest rates and usury laws. Uh, and, and there's a plethora of other like new topics that we had to consume pretty quickly and understand them very, very well. But I can't tell you that we benefited from being doctors in getting that, that, that intelligence. There was a lot of levering our networks. And this is maybe where the MBA helped a lot. We, had, we have a bench of advisors who've done exactly this at Fortune 50 companies. Uh, and and did a lot of strategic work, and so it helped us to see those blind spots that we couldn't see because I can I can place an epidural with my eyes closed maybe, but when it comes to like figuring out how to underwrite a loan, that's not what I was trained to do. And so 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 recognizing that that you got to lever the skill sets of 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 folks that have done this before, their wisdom, and how and we were impressed by how giving people are in terms of, of their time. And of their expertise, like it almost feels to them like like they're honored to be asked the question when you're really listening to them and taking their advice. And and there's a, a, a whole host of folks that we've really benefited from over the course of the past three years because they were just generous with their time. Well, I mean, I love what you guys have put together. I mean, I remember when I was finishing fellowship, my wife and I, we finished fellowship at the same time. We her job, I think, didn't start right away. And then mine started, but they said there was going to be a lag time before I got my first check. I remember it was several months down the line. I remember for those couple months that were in between, we're like, man, luckily we didn't have to move. But we're like, yeah, this is, this is, going, to be, this is going to be a stressful time for the next couple of months. And so we were able to kind of put a loan together through one of my practices. It was just not a fun, easy process. Um, so I can imagine that there must be a ton of people who are in that transition stage who could, you know, obviously uh, benefit from what you guys have offered. So, um, and I also just love physician-led businesses that serve other physicians. I mean, that's just, I just think it's one of the coolest things. And so um, awesome that you guys are doing what you're doing. I really appreciate what, um, you know, you put together. Where can find people find out more about uh, you and your 
company? Well, uh, Peter, our, we, we, we have a website um, that, that has a lot about our, our, our philosophy that we described here. It's, it's www.doc, the number two, doclending.com. So doc2doclending.com. Um, on there is, um, in addition to that information, there's uh, at the bottom of the homepage a request for more information. And, and by filling that out, um, it'll give us your contact information. You'll receive a call from, from, uh, from one of our physician members on our team. Um, also obviously is the link to the, the loan application form for, for those folks who are interested in, um, in, in applying for a doc to doc loan as well. That's right at the top of the homepage. Um, uh, Zwade and I are, are, are always available for conversations as well. I, I, I know I speak for both of us when, um, when I say that um, one of our one of our favorite parts of all of this is getting to interact with the people who are interested in our in our company, whether it whether it be um, as a borrower um, or as we told in those early days back at the ASA, interacting um, uh, with our investors as well. Peter, thank you for having us. Um, we think that the, the passive income MD platform has been uh, enormously educational, instructive. Meant to us personally and, and to many of our peers, um, our, our our entire team consumes your content uh, and have for some time, uh, and so um and and it's been a pleasure talking to you now. But but we've you know we've had uh, dialogue offline, and uh, you really are a supporter of of, of physician uh, innovation entrepreneurship, and and we really appreciate your voice uh, in the sea of voices out there that speaks to 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 this specific niche. So thank you. All right. You're welcome. I'm sure people will enjoy the story. I'm sure they're going to find some inspiration, motivation. Maybe some people need your service and they can reach out to you. Either way, thanks. Thanks for what you keep doing. And we'll check in from you guys time to time and see how you're doing. I'm sure it's going to be extremely, I mean, you guys are successful already, but it's only going to continue to grow. So thanks for doing what you do. Take care guys. Thank you. Thanks a lot, Peter. Enjoy the show. Let me know by dropping a review in the podcast app you're listening to us in. And if you haven't already, make sure to hit subscribe. Are you part of our community yet? Join thousands of physicians who are also on this journey to creating their ideal lives through multiple streams of income. You can join us on our Facebook group, Passive Income Docs, and you can always learn more at our website, PassiveIncomeMD.com. Thanks again for allowing me to be a part of your journey. See you next time.